Hey everyone, welcome back to High Tea Hoops. This is Brian Boucher at the Duke of Hoops, and I am joined by Skylar Smith, the Duchess of Hoops. What's up, Skylar? Hi, Brian. I'm super excited. We have a great episode today. So many great things and such a great interview at the at the end of the show with Christina Gaskin, which we're really excited to get to. But to start off with what we are talking about today, Skylar, we're going to start off with some BBL Cup going through the games from the weekend. Lots of exciting games. There was a lot of basketball on. A lot of basketball. A lot of basketball. We were a little nice. fried. It was Yeah, it was, it was great. Hang out at home, watch some BBL Cup. We also are going to talk about the GB men's basketball team as they went to the Eurobasket qualifiers against France and Montenegro. We're going to talk a little bit about Sky Sports, the new TV deal that BBL got that is premiering this week. Going into a little, just just a touch of BBL Player, the new streaming service and, and League Pass, just to just to address it because there's little, you know, the little little fire under BBL Twitter, which was fun last week. And then stick around for our interview with former D1 collegiate hooper and current Leicester rider Christina Gaskin. Great interview. Great she was interview. wonderful to talk to. Lovely to talk to her. We talked about all things WBBL, playing in college, her, her path and playing the, on the national team all the way to where she is now playing for the Riders where they won the trophy last year, and then how the WBBL and British basketball can grow in general. So great interview. Wait for that. But let's launch into the BBL Cup, Skylar. So we're going to go into the different group games. So let's start with the Plymouth Raiders against the Worcester Wolves. And Skylar has trained me here. I do not say Worcester anymore. I mean, even when we say it correctly, it just sounds bad in our accents. Like, it just doesn't sound right. I apologize. Worcester Wolves, that's the best I can do. At least it's not Worcester. And they, the Raiders squeaked this one out 59-57 yeah. without Ashley Hamilton playing because he was playing for GB, who is arguably their best player before Andrew Lawrence comes back. But what do you think of this game, Skylar? This was a great game. It was really close yeah. at the end. It was a really fun one to watch. Um, I think my biggest takeaway from this game was uh, really Matthew Bryan and Manning really stepping up and putting his team on his back. He really was yeah. just battling in the post all game long. Uh, unfortunately, they couldn't come up with the, the win. Um, and I was actually sad to see him like on social after like saying he was sorry to the fans that he didn't he had done enough. Like. NBA, they appreciate you. You put the team on your back all day. Like, of course they wanted the win, but don't apologize. I know. he's Because they had two games this week, and he had to step up with Jordan Williams out. Yeah. They played against the Raiders. They lost by two. They played against the Scorchers and lost another close one by four. And he is the one after being released from the Lions, leaving the Lions, being cut, whatever mm -hmm. happened there. He started and he played in Europe with the Lions and then was recently signed by the Wolves. And he said, this is Jordan Williams's team. I'm just trying to fit in and be the role player. But he's had to step up. He had huge games. Yeah. And you're right. He apologized. He was, he was feeling really bad on social media uh, about these losses because they were right there and they just they they couldn't, they couldn't get both out of there. Yeah. I get the, I get the temptation, but you'll get them next game, NBA. I'm just, yeah. this is just a, a hype up pod for NBA now. Yes. Because he's great. I, like, I, I love when athletes are more transparent, especially on Twitter, yeah, social media. And him coming out and just being like, man, like I'm still thinking about this game. I want to get this back. You know, we should yeah. get these games. I love to see that, especially with the season he's had so far. Yeah, me too. Let's move on to another exciting duo of games here. Manchester Giants versus the Glasgow Rocks. This one Enough. was thrilling. Well, the first one, 95 <laughs> Giants, 58 rocks. It was a blowout. Just a complete blowout here. It was, you know, the rocks have played really well considering their season where they have player coach, player coach Gareth Murray. They couldn't even practice indoors for a long time because of, yeah. of the restrictions in Scotland. So it's just funny to think of a professional basketball team like practicing in parks, social distancing. Yeah. But it kind of caught up to them here. And the Giants, who have been really strong this year with Lyle Hexham, blew them out and sam cassell jr our guy our bbl jam duo <laughs> stepping up and they just blew them out yeah the giants looked strong yeah after their rebrand after you know two of their biggest players leaving last season or them releasing their two of their most famous players they 
came out really strong were the undefeated team in the BBL in their group stages. And then the Rocks, really impressive coming back. Johnny Bunyan comes out. Johnny Bunyan, have yourself a day. Just the leader of this team with with Gareth Murray, also our BBL Jam duo, which you love to see. They fight back. They beat the Giants. 83-73, 83-73, and they take this one. What do you think of this? I, you love to see a good comeback story in the same weekend. Love to see a good comeback story, especially with how the first game went down. Like, coming into that second game, I bet a bunch of people just rode off this Rocks team, and it was great to see them make this comeback. Uh, especially coming from Johnny Bunyan. Johnny what is his Bunyan. what is his Twitter handle? It's like Chug Speedman or something. <laughs> Incredible. I think it's Tug. Tug. No, yeah, you're right. It's Tug Speedman. Which Johnny I need Bunyan, to what that. is that? What are Johnny? If you listen to the pod, he's probably Johnny listening Bunyan. Right now, come right? on the podcast. Come Tell on the podcast. Your, we need to. What your handle means. We need to have a BBL Jam podcast where we have Gareth and Johnny Bunyan on together. Because I need the lore of Johnny Bunyan of of. Tug Speedman. What is it? Uh, something like that. Something like that. So, Johnny, if you're listening, come on the pod. If you know Johnny, tell him to come on the pod. We want to talk to you. Incredible. <laughs> if you see him on the street, yeah, if yell you see at him, him on the come street, on the pod. Heidi Hoops wants to talk to you. Coming out of nowhere. Heidi <laughs> Hoops is looking for you. <laughs> well, not coming out of nowhere. He's, he's a very good shooter. Um, and he just stepped up, and they would not go down twice in a row. Maybe the Giants came out a little cocky. That's what their coach said. Um, but you can't, you can't do that. You got to come out and play hard against the rocks and Johnny Bunyan or Johnny Bunyan will get you. Of course. All right, let's go to our next game here. Surrey Scorchers 76, uh, the Worcester Wolves 72. This is the other one NBA was talking about where it's the close, close finish. Mm -hmm. The Scorchers pulled it out. Skylar, do you have a little announcement you might want to make to the audience? If you follow me on Twitter, you may have, already seen that this leaked over the weekend but i have committed to a team finally i'm a scorchers fan skylar the duchess of hoops is a surrey scorchers fan what's let's do a little press conference here skylar what are some of the reasons uh, that you chose the surrey scorchers as your bbl team of choice wow really put me on the spot here brian i feel like they just have my favorite branding out of all of the bbl teams i feel like the lions and the scorchers are my favorites i love their kits i love their jerseys martel macklemore martel macklemore from detroit there's you know there's there's a point in their column i love coach creon he came on the high t hoops pod i feel like uh, it's been well known on this podcast that I love a team team, and I yep. feel like the Scorchers are a great team team. I don't they have know. a they have it a just player felt right. They have a player named Skyler Skyler White. True, that's a good point. That is a good point. But again, I've said on this podcast, anytime I meet other Skylers, I feel like I have to like duel them to like be <laughs> the ultimate Skyler. So he spells it with know. an E Who though, knows? so maybe he he made yeah. it out of there. That's a fair point. That's a fair point. Uh, but this game, really fun to watch. I mean, the Scorchers had yeah. to win this one. Um, the pressure was on for them to get their first win. Teo stepped up big. Uh, Connor Cashow stepped up big. Cashow, Cashow. I, I, I'm terrible at these pronunciations. We'll get better. Um, and again, Skylar White stepping up with some big rebounds. But this is a, they were a force coming into the second half to take this one away from the Wolves. Mm-hmm. and it was just a really fun watch all around. You saw, you know, Walsh come on, step in, coming from the NBL. Mm-hmm. Um, this was a really fun one, and the production was good. Yeah, I feel like that was a big part of why this one was really fun to watch as well. Yeah, they, they had the pregame show. They had the halftime show. Um, you got a, a lot of different a post-game players. game interview a post-game with Coach interview. Creon. Yes. Shout out Tom Bonnet, incredible interview. Yeah. That was good. Usually behind the camera, but this time was in front. You love to see it. Good job, Tom. They're covered on BBC now, South, BBC One. So they're doing like game highlights. So they're getting a lot more coverage down in Surrey, Skylar. Not a bad team to pick. Nice. I'm, yeah, I feel good about it. And then shout out to Lavelle Cook, who also just had this killer crossover. But next time I want you to throw it down at the end. And some of his teammates were like, hey, just don't lay that one in. If you cross someone up that bad, 
you got to dunk gotta it. throw it down. Yeah. You got to throw it down. But Lavelle cook also had a great game. This was a really fun one. Um, and I think you're right. You tweeted out, they kind of set the new standard for production and what yeah. this, what this should be in the BBL. Yeah. I'd love to see all the other BBL teams follow their lead. Yeah. And it was nice for him. So before the game or leading up to the game, they had a press conference with coach Creon where they had different British basketball media. So we submitted questions from high T hoops, a few others submitted questions. And it was nice to have that type of engagement and storytelling before the yeah. game started. And it just, it felt like it was leading up to this really fun event and it turned out to be an awesome game. So just all around yeah. great job. Uh, love to see more of that in the BBL. Yeah, it definitely. It makes it feel like much more of an event. It's yeah. like, it, it definitely gives it like the NBA game feel. It's yeah, nice. Absolutely. And the last game to round up here was the group of death Sheffield Sharks versus the Newcastle Eagles. Sheffield Sharks had to win this to have the opportunity to advance. They lost 77 to 90 and largely because Ramon Fletcher, who we've had on this podcast, just demolished them. 24 points, six assists, was hitting three after th any time they came back. He just hit the open three, found his looks, was feeding Maxwell. This was a really fun game. And Ramon Fletcher, three-time MVP. You think he's going to get his third, Skyler? He's one of the favorites this year. Maybe. All I know is he came on the high T hoops pod and then he caught fire. So if any other players are listening, let that be a lesson. Johnny Bunyan. <laughs> you know who else came on the podcast, Skyler, who's also an MVP favorite? Who? DeAndre Liggins. DeAndre Liggins. That's right. That's, that's all we're also, saying. Also... MVP of fits in my head. I mean, he is, he's been fire on Instagram lately. Every day yeah. there's a new fit. It's pretty good. And the London Lions have just got on TikTok. So we're going to have a lot more it's London Lions player. Yeah, it's big breaking news. Just got on TikTok. They followed us, Skylar, if you nice, have to. Nice, nice. Really excited about that one. And they're already doing Dirk Williams and they're already doing DeAndre Liggins TikToks and dances. You're already seeing that content out there, which you love to see. Uh, also shout out in this game, Kipper Nichols, who's been one of our favorites since the start of the season. Uh, one of their young Americans coming in, had himself a game. You know, he's, he's been adjusting a little bit to the BBL, but came in really strong. Uh, he put up 19 points. He was contributing defensively, had six rebounds. So shout out to, uh, our guy, Kipper Nichols, maybe consider coming on the pod as well. Shout out Kipper Nichols, the most American name in the BBL. <laughs> Uh, so let's get a sense of the BBL Cup standings now in the quarterfinals. So the London Lions are playing the Plymouth Raiders in the quarterfinals. The Manchester Giants will be playing the Surrey Scorchers in the quarterfinals. And then there's still some to be decided. So either the Eagles or the Riders will be playing the Wolves or the Flyers. And then whoever doesn't do that from the Riders and Eagles will play the Rocks. Did I just put you Got in a pretzel? <laughs> So the sure. e either the Eagles or Riders will be playing the Wolves or Flyers. And yeah. then the person that the team that the, the either. Club, yeah. Either the Riders or the Eagles, whoever's not playing. will, will play, play the, the Rocks. Rocks. Yeah. Yeah. I think we got it. You can it's check. Honestly, on not that. even that hard. It's just been a long day. <laughs> <laughs> uh and also what happened in the last couple of weeks since we've had a check-in is the BBL championship season schedule was released. So shout out to BBL. I said this in our Thanksgiving kind of thanks out to the BBL for pushing through this pandemic, pushing through the government funding and everything that's gone on this year. And we actually get a full exciting season. And not only that, Skylar, but like we talked about in the last pod, Sky Sports is showing the BBL on TV. Can you believe it? Skyler, Sky on Sky Sports <laughs> eventually will happen. But the games start on Thursday, December 3rd, so this week with the Lions against the Eagles. I'm really excited for this. The the uh, They did some promo shots and some BTS of uh, the actual production itself from yeah. Buzz 16. This looks amazing. The production value yeah. looks amazing. Yeah, I'm really excited to see what they have come up with. And they're bringing on, you know, they're bringing on Kieran Achara, Mike Tuck. Um, they're bringing on Drew Lasker. I think Nat Coombs, who does the NFL UK show for ESPN, um, that's a friend of the pod. They're all doing the production. They think they brought in all the right people, the actual, like, legends of the BBL. I love a Mike Tuck three-pointer. Love a Mike Tuck segment. Love a Mike Tuck on Sky Sports. 
So I'm really excited to see this, and I think it's really going to elevate the league to new fans. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of the new Sky Sports TV deal, Skylar, we had the announcement from the BBL that they will be launching the BBL Player. So this is from their press release. BBL Player is the new home of all BBL action, and this is basically their streaming service. You have two different options. One, you can watch an individual game for $4.99, watch it live, very similar to how we've been watching it so far this season. Yep. And then you get a monthly club pass for $19.99 a month. You can watch all of your single clubs games home and away. But then two teams didn't opt into this. The Bristol Flyers have their Flyers TV that they're maintaining. And the Wolves are still streaming on YouTube for free. Mm-hmm. So this caused a lot of conversations on Twitter about how $19.99 for only a single clubs de- game isn't very accessible. Uh, or mm-hmm. single clubs games isn't very accessible. It's pretty expensive compared to EuroLeague, even NBA League Pass, especially when you only get one club. Yeah. And especially when clubs, you know, play three to four to five games maybe in a month. So it's almost more realistic to just buy individual games that you want to watch, especially considering others are doing it for free. So what did mm-hmm. you think of this announcement, Skylar? Um, what are some of your thoughts overall? Yeah, I mean – we had heard rumblings that this was coming before the details had kind of come out. And I was really excited about it. I think, you know, in general, this concept and kind of what this is, is, you know, it's a good step. It's something that could really benefit the league. You know, I think having one place where, you know, everyone knows that they go there to watch the games, uh, that's really important. And to have all the teams on it, I think would have been really important. Um, And I think this just kind of, you know, it legitimizes them in a way, it professionalizes the league in a way. I think it's really important to have a streaming service like this. I think my main two issues are, and I think, you know, this is everyone's main two issues. These aren't original concepts that it's, you know, five pounds per game. It doesn't, it doesn't sound bad. It's kind of what we've been doing, but 20 pounds a month per team it's just you're pricing people out here. It makes it really accessible. And I totally understand that the BBL needs to get some revenue in the door that, you know, it's a pandemic and they're, you know, I'm sure they're really struggling financially, but at the same time, the BBL needs to be becoming more accessible to people and getting more eyeballs on the sport. And this is going to do the exact opposite. This is actually going to, I think, priced out some fans some existing fans so i don't know it's tough that's my first issue uh my second issue is i would have loved to have had a full league pass with i know with all of the clubs you know i think it makes it tough obviously something happened with the wolves and the flyers where they didn't want to opt in for whatever reason um and so i think if they had had a way to do like all of the clubs on one league pass and it was maybe like a set cost and you could kind of bring that cost down a little bit. So you're you're not having to pay, you know, if you want to watch two teams every month, that's 40 pounds a month. That's quite a lot. Like if you could bring it down a little bit, uh, I think that would have been great. I don't know. What do you think, Brian? I I agree with you. Having a streaming service, especially with improved production, you know, key motion is a little rough. It's not key motion. Isn't terrible, but it does lose the play. It's automated. It's not incredible production. So I'm hoping with this introduction of BBL player, the production will be a lot better and it'll be much more professional to watch. Yeah. I think $5.99 per game, pretty, you know, pretty normal. That doesn't, yeah. that's not crazy to me, but you're right. I wish it would have been more of a league pass because I think you're trying to bring in fans for the league, not just for individual teams. Yeah. And I know, uh, you know, all of the subscriptions are going directly to the clubs, which may have complicated things where clubs maybe didn't want to divvy it up evenly. Maybe they just wanted to get the revenue from their individual fans trying to watch their own games. And they're Mm -hmm. thinking of it more as a, Hey, this is a a new way, a standard way for each club to offer streaming for their unique fan base. Uh, And I also don't know how it interacts with sky sports. And if sky sports had something to do with, Hey, we don't want there to be league wide coverage for a, a cheap cost. We want them to come over to sky. So I think there's a lot of factors here. We don't know behind the scenes, but from a fan's perspective and especially from media perspective, it's going to be a lot harder to watch all of these games now. Yeah, um, and sure. it might be better production and 
um, you know, we might actually get to stream them all and, and there's no yeah. you know, technical issues. They did have a technical issue this weekend and then immediately pivoted to going for free, which was great to see. So they're already having some issues with it, which is too bad. Um, all of these launches are always hard with these streaming services, but I just wish they would have allowed for uh, fans to be able to watch games across the league because, yeah. you know, uh, there's a, there's a lot of fun London Lions games, but I also want to go check out Johnny Bunyan putting up 20 against the Giants in a revenge game, you know, and I would yeah. never, you know, I'd never subscribe to the rocks if I was a London Lions fan. So I, you know, it's things to work out. I hope they figure out a way to make it more accessible because I think the fan base is growing a lot. Um, yeah. But overall, I'm just glad to see that Sky is, you know, giving them the TV deal. They have a more professional streaming service and it just seems like the momentum's moving in the right direction. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Talking about momentum in the right direction, these transitions tonight, wow, just on point. GB basketball, playing in the Eurobasket qualifiers. We are on the GB side. What group are we in? I think we're in group C or something, group F, group G. We are in group G. So that includes France, Germany, and Montenegro. So these qualifiers are Still crazy to us as NBA fans. They played the first set of games this February, the next set now, and then the next set next February. I'm like, that's too long. Wild, yeah. I, there's, I, that's a whole basketball season. I don't know what's going on here. But yeah. <laughs> they, brought a, they brought a squad. Um, they brought Cam Hildreth, which incredible one-on-one game, um, which, we, which we posted on social, which is really fun to watch in their practice. But they got outclassed by France. It was 79-56. Uh, they, came, they came out pretty flat. Um, watching this game, it just looked like they were, I don't know, deer in the headlights. What do you think goes into the, I mean, this was their first game in a while, Skylar. What did you think of this game? Did you think they just fell flat and just like didn't have the energy coming out? Yeah, I mean, they looked flat. And then also France came out strong. Yeah, France is good. France is, France is good. Like we need to give France... Even if people are like, it's their I know B Brits team. hate. It's not I know B Brits team. hate giving France any credit, but <laughs> they have a very good basketball team. They do. Have yeah, you ever seen Boris Diaw play? Got... What? Have you ever seen Boris Diaw play? The I... French are really good at basketball. I, I just love Boris Diaw. He's my pickup equivalent. Okay. Yeah, I think GB just came out flat. France came out strong, and you know when it just that comes out. They both come out like that, and it just like from there you can't get it back. Yeah, yeah. It was one they of just, those games. They couldn't pull back, but I think what everyone wanted to see was them to fight back. Yeah. And they played Montenegro earlier or later that weekend on Sunday, and they came out strong. The defensive mm-hmm. intensity was completely different. Uh, they were pushing hard. They fought all the way, you know through all four quarters, and they won this game seventy four fifty nine. And that's important because now they have the tiebreaker against Montenegro. So it's a four club or four team group. Germany automatically qualifies because they're hosting. So they really just need to be better than Montenegro now and they qualify. So they kept their hopes alive when they play their next set of games next February, but this was a huge win. And if they perform well in next February, they're going to make it, which is pretty amazing to see. Yeah. Wasn't it um, GB could get eliminated with this game, but they couldn't qualify to advance? Yeah, if they lost to Montenegro. Yeah, so it was kind of a crucial win. Yep, it was a big game for them. Uh, And they came through and they fought back and they took because they lost to Montenegro earlier this year. Yeah. And they won this time and they won that point differential. So they're on their way. Yeah. Go GB. Good things to see. Go Team GB. Um, But let's transition now to our interview with Christina Gaskin. Again, great interview. great interview. She uh, she lived in Michigan. It's so random. That was insane. Yeah, it honestly really threw me off for like five minutes in the podcast. <laughs> I couldn't stop thinking about it. She talked about her journey and playing in the national team when she was 14, uh, mm-hmm. getting a scholarship to play D1 hoops in New York, coming to play in the WBBL in Italy. She has a marketing background, so we talked about uh, how she thinks that the WBBL can grow and British basketball can grow in general. So incredible. Anyways, interview. you can just listen to it now instead of listening to us uh, <laughs> describe it. <laughs> you can listen to it now. Now. 
Everyone, welcome back to High Tea Hoops. This is Brian Boucher at the Duke of Hoops, and I am joined by Skylar Smith, the Duchess of Hoops. What's up, Duchess? Hi, Brian. Super excited to talk to our first WBBL player today. I know. We have been trying to for a while, and yeah. I am so excited to bring on Christina Gaskin of the Lester Riders and a marketing consultant. Christina, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for joining. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're, this is going to be exciting. You just, you're rolling off of a huge WBBL Cup win yesterday, or not huge, but you blew them out in the fourth quarter. You were undefeated through the different stages, so it's a pretty exciting time to catch up with you. But just to get started for our audience, do you want to give yourself uh, a little intro? What's your background in basketball? Uh, would love to just hear kind of high level who you are. Yeah, so I started playing basketball um, relatively late. I guess for the international basketball um, and I started playing at the time because six five six six at the time so it was a tremendous challenge for me you know like I lost every single game that we played on, mm -hmm. on the driveway together um but I just fell in love with the sport and although I was horrendous at the <laughs> beginning and couldn't make a basket if my life depended on it somehow I still managed to enjoy it and found it really fun to be in a team environment so you know, kept working hard, um, became quite like a gym rat, I guess, um, in my earlier junior career and joined a club and managed to work really hard within uh, sort of the club basketball, also with some of my school coaches at the time and got to a point where I guess someone saw some kind of talent in me because they picked me for sort of regional teams. And from there, I got picked to um, represent or join the, the national team um, training camp. Yeah, where I finally was able to join the under 16 European Championship team, I think in 2009, which feels like a lifetime ago to say. Um, <laughs> Seriously. But I was only 14 at the time. So that was a huge experience for me. Um, first time on the international stage, seeing international competition. And even though obviously I didn't, didn't play a lot during that competition, I think it was really great to be able to see the disparity in terms of the level of the game in Europe versus mm. what we understood the level of the game to be domestically. And mm -hmm. I think even currently, it's quite hard for younger players to realize that, you know, in England where basketball is relatively small and mm -hmm. growing, but still small, you can feel like a big fish in, in a small pond. But, you know, as soon as you get out into the broader basketball world and you see like European hoops or even, you know, college hoops, you realize that you're actually just a, a tiny fish in, in a massive ocean. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. So that kind of humbled me um, and pushed me to work really hard as a junior. Um, I was never satisfied. I was quite relentless in my training efforts, probably too much so at some times. And I was able to secure a scholarship to play college basketball uh, for Fordham University, which is in the A10 conference yep. on the East Coast of America in New York. Which is a huge accomplishment for any yeah. British basketball player. There's not that yeah, many that get those D1 scholarships. Definitely. And I was extremely grateful. I had a few different options to choose from. So um, I landed on New York because it's a really good academic school as well as, you know, a good like basketball program. So it was important for me to develop both sides of, of my sort of dual career at that point. Um, we won uh, the A10 championship my junior year. So we went mm -hmm. to the NCAA tournament, lost in the first round. But to even be I mean, there still was made a huge feat. March yeah, Madness. Which is, yeah, which is something to, to really be um, proud of. Do and people then, in the UK understand March Madness and just like how much of a cultural phenomenon it is? I don't think that people in the UK generally understand or appreciate how big sports is in America. Like, mm -hmm. and I think that's like one of the struggles. Like when I was in college in America as an athlete, I was celebrated. Like we were like the pinnacle of, of the students within, yeah. you know, the college. Yeah. Um, and people looked up to you. You're a role model, you know. Yeah. And at some schools, I imagine you're somewhat of a celebrity. Whereas you know, growing up in the UK and playing sport, it's like, why are you playing basketball? Isn't that a guy's sport? You know, why, why are you choosing to do that? So it's just a completely different stereotype. Um, and it was nice to step overseas actually, and to be celebrated as a, especially as a female um, yeah. playing sport. Cause that was something that at least, you know, growing up as a junior player in this country, it wasn't something that was really, you know, celebrated and it's getting bigger nowadays as more media surrounding female sports. But obviously I think in college in America with title nine and um, mm -hmm. the equality that's, that's been brought about because of that, there's just so much more um, resources and like attention towards female sports. Yeah. Mm -hmm. if, if you don't know title nine, it was a mandate for college sports where 
uh, you had to have an equal number of scholarships for men as women. So with men playing American football, where there's like, I don't know, 100 players, that means there's a lot more scholarships available for women. So maybe on the tennis team or basketball team for men, there might be two or three scholarships where for women, there's five or seven. So you have a lot more opportunity to grow that side. And that's why we typically are very good at women's sports in the U.S. Just look at our women's soccer team versus our men's (laughs) soccer team nationally. Um, But yeah, I mean, Skylar understands. Skylar went to University of Michigan. So just the college basketball, they are, they're huge on campus. I actually grew up in Michigan. I spent a lot of my childhood there. Really? Where? where? Um, Novi. Oh that my is God. so weird. That's like an hour from where I grew up. That is so weird. Really? Yeah. So you mean you came out of Michigan and you're not a Pistons fan? How did that happen? <laughs> so I was very young um, in my defense okay. at the time. Uh, I think I moved to America when I was one, one and a half with my family. My dad had a, a career move um, and I was there for four or five years. And then we came back to England and then I actually went back a second time to Michigan for two or three years. So I spent a large part of my early childhood in America. So I somewhat Whoa. have a bit of an identity crisis from, from that situation, <laughs> but that's a story from another day. That I just, crazy. I, I'm imagining like six-year-old Christina, like kicking Skylar's ass in basketball in <laughs> some, some Michigan basketball league. That would be amazing. Maybe, Maybe it happened. We'll have to, we'll have to get together after this call and uh, talk some shit about that state. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'd love to hear more, though, about what it was like transitioning from British basketball to college basketball. So, you know, you kind of touched on, you know, there's a lot more recognition for uh, women ballers in the U.S. And kind of I read your blog and how you guys get like the insane gear and you get, you know, just like 150 pieces of gear every year and how that's like not even really a thing in the U.K. But was there a transition as far as uh, the playing style went? Was there a transition as far as kind of um, how you interacted with coaches or teammates with the cultural differences? What was kind of that transition like? So um, I think one of the most poignant things that I explained to some of my American teammates when I was a freshman in college was, you know, they were really impressed that I've obviously had the opportunity to play for my national team and to travel mm-hmm. to all these different European countries playing basketball. But when I explained to them that quite often, a lot of the time, I had to pay to be able to do that as a junior mm-hmm. player in this country because there just isn't the money in the sport to be able to, um, you know, justify paying for all these different camps that we had to go on, training camps, um, yep. the flights that we'd have to pay to travel. And granted, there was a certain budget, but it was never enough to cover the entirety of the program. And you know, the coaches and team managers at the time did a very good job of trying to um, allocate resources when, and partner with people so that we could maximize as much as possible our preparation, etc. Mm-hmm. But, you know, going from that to go into a program that has a budget in excess of sort of $150,000 in any given yeah. season, it was just insane to me. You know, I'm, you know, playing for my national team, having to pay to be able to be on my national team to attending a team where we're taking chartered flights from one game to the next um, yeah. on a weekly basis. So it was just night and day um, in terms of the, the resource and the money that sort of funded the programs. But I think to answer your question in terms of some of the adjustments and, and cultural differences, I think the style of play, it's no secret, is extremely different in Europe to America. Um, and more personally to me, I'm used to playing with a lot of freedom um, having the ability to, to make decisions, to push the ball, play at like a very high pace. Mm-hmm. Um, and quite often with that, with European basketball, sometimes there are like more turnovers or, you know, you play higher possession games, um, but you'll see more like creativity and more independence given to the players to be able to make the decisions on court. And one of the first things that I noticed playing in the States is that at least the, the team that I was on, was it heavily structured? Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of the sets were called by the coach from the sideline. Um, We ran a very, very slow paced game, a lot of screen action, um, not a lot of like motion, free movement kind of offenses. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of found myself trying to be a square peg fitting into a circle hole at times Um, because a lot of my advantages playing basketball is that like my speed for my size or Mm -hmm. um, my ability to sort of just be quicker than uh, most bigs to be able to attack them mm. on the perimeter. But then um, if they tried to put a guard on me, then I can go inside and post them up. So that was kind of my offensive advantage. 
and yeah. because that didn't really fit within the structure that I was playing in in college like I found it really difficult because I tried to manipulate my game to kind of fit the system that I was in which ultimately I think um was far too difficult mm-hmm. um but yeah you see that with so many college programs where the coaches have so much power and yeah. it's their system or out I know I went to Dartmouth where your scholarship doesn't depend on the sport that you play, luckily. So you get a lot of people coming in, going to that gear day where they get their 100 pieces of gear and then they'll quit the team because right. the system just doesn't fit for them or there's a new recruiting class come in, coming in that replaces mm-hmm. you and the coach wants their recruiting class. Or if the coach changes, I mean, that just throws the entire uh, team in disarray. But it's such a difficult challenge. And you see that even in like NBA where – You'll have, Mm -hmm. I think there was a sixth man drafted fourth. I think Patrick Williams was a sixth man on his team and he's the fourth draft of the, or fourth pick of the NBA draft. Um, But yeah, I can see how you can get stuck there. And I I think another sort of big um, realization for me was I grew up playing in basketball in this country where you're largely surrounded by volunteers or people that Mm -hmm. are Mm -hmm. basically within the sport because they're passionate about the sport. There's, There's no real money and that's not a secret for anyone. So anyone that's involved in basketball in this country for the most part is doing so because they're extremely passionate about the game. Mm-hmm. And that coming from that kind of motivation, I think allows players to feel comfortable and confident that that coach has their best interests at heart because they want you to succeed as much as they want to succeed. Yep. Um, but I think because of the financial element, when you play in college and the pressure that's put on coaches to, to win at all costs and to have to succeed and make sure that, you know, they have a winning program. Mm-hmm. that kind of funnels down towards the players. And I think you're no longer seen necessarily as an athlete, but you're seen as an asset to them within the program. Yeah. And so yeah. if you're an asset that's not producing, then you can sometimes get overlooked or you can get um, undervalued. Whereas uh, growing up in the UK, because we're surrounded by people that you know aren't doing it for a financial gain, then they really do, I think, have your best interests at heart for the most part. And obviously I'm yep. generalizing, um, but that was a big adjustment for me to sort of realizing that the sport and the, um, the passion that I had was kind of manipulated into a, a business kind of environment and having to have that mindset that it's a business and I need to turn up and perform every day and mm-hmm. do my job and not just play because I really love the sport. Yeah, we don't have to turn this into an NCAA podcast because Skylar and I have some pretty strong opinions there where you are professional athletes and you are taken advantage of by the coaches and the systems and you become those free assets. But we don't have to get into that. If you haven't read your blog post uh, or listened to your different stories on uh, how college basketball almost killed you, I encourage you to do that. It's an incredibly powerful piece, but we don't have to cover it here because you've covered it in a number of different places. So I want to move on to, you know, after Fordham, what excited you about the opportunity to go back to the UK and to play in the WBBL? So I think for me, my main quest on returning back home, initially, like I wasn't going to play basketball again. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked in real estate in New York for a long time after I graduated and I thought I wouldn't play basketball again. But then working in, in Westminster in London, I realized I actually really missed the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to get back into it in a capacity where my main priority is to find enjoyment in playing again. Mm-hmm. um as a as a number one and obviously at working at the time in london the logical transition for me was to um to play with the the london gosh i don't know why i'm struggling to remember what the, yeah, yeah the london lions there we go yes, the london lions. i played with them for two years and i can't remember the um <laughs> no worries so yeah so i played with the the lions for a couple of years and and then i was uh, playing in a game actually where a European scout was watching um, the game afterwards because he he was the agent of one of the players on the team and he was trying to find her a professional team overseas and he actually reached out to me and said look have you ever considered playing professionally and obviously at that point that wasn't a really a consideration in my mind but um, I wasn't really ready to launch myself fully into the workforce and to to give up on basketball and to retire yeah. per se so um, I worked with him and that's when I was able to sign my first professional contract playing in Italy. Wow. So w- going back, how long was the gap between you graduating and working and then actually going and playing professional? Um, probably about three years, actually. Brian okay. is asking this question for himself, by it's, the way. That's a little longer than me. I'm trying to get back into it. to get back. NBL teams <laughs> out there. 
just, you know, use a visa spot on me if you're listening. Not a big deal. <laughs> Three years is a little shorter though. I've, I'm like 10 years now and it's, it might be a lost cause at this point. But um, so what is it, what was playing for the BA Lions like? So you mentioned you signed your first professional contract. Was it more amateur at that time? I know the WBBL started in what, 2011 or something. So it's more, it's yeah. more recent. So what was it like playing then? And what's the difference between that and signing your first contract? So um, it's an interesting setup with the BA London Lions because um, they are attached or affiliated with an academy structure. So a lot of the up and coming talent that are looking to, to go to America, um, they play in the league as, you know, with the priority of developing those players. Yeah. But then they obviously, yeah. to be able to be competitive, they surround themselves with normally a few other professional players to raise the standard and obviously just, you know, help them be able to get through the season and compete against some of the better teams in the league. Um, so at the time, a lot of like my experience there having returned from America was mentoring and leading the team and trying to, you know, like when you're surrounded by a team with younger players, you have a lot of teething problems where you've got to try and yes. not only teach them how to do something, but like why it's important to do something. Mm -hmm. And, uh, that's quite often a struggle. And, um, you know, although like I'm very passionate about giving back and, um, helping other people follow in, in my footsteps at the same time. Sometimes you just want to rock up to a practice mm -hmm. and yeah. just play and not yeah. have to do the whole leadership component and, and worry about other different sort of developmental things that you have to take care of. Yes. I love the teething problems <laughs> reference. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, you won the trophy last season with the writers. What was that journey like to get the trophy before the season was canceled? I, when I look back, I think that we were extremely fortunate to be in that position. One, to, to be playing in a league where there is an opportunity to win a championship so early in the season. Yeah. Um, quite often you'll play the whole season before you get to playoffs. And so I know we're wrapping our heads teams. around trophy yeah, I, cup and yeah. championship. It's like, it makes sense. It's good that you could, I wish the NBA did something similar, but I'm like the trophy's not the championship, but it's not the cup. <laughs> We're still learning. I know, but you win a trophy if you win the cup and you win a like, I know, exactly. Um, I was even confused when I first came back to, like, <laughs> to decide for the different. I, I was just trying to win every weekend. I didn't know what yeah. it necessarily <laughs> meant. Um, but yeah, so we were really fortunate to be able to, you know, benefit from the fact that the league is structured this way and to be able to have a final so early on in the season. And I think we had an extremely talented team last year. So... I think if we hadn't have had the opportunity to play that game, I think I would have always thought like, what if, like what mm -hmm. could we have done if the season had gone on a little bit longer? And I think a lot of teams internationally would have turned around and said like they had unfinished business last season. Like you look at Oregon in the States, which, you know, one of my form, one of my current teammates yeah, Holly Winterburn. Um, used to play with. Yeah. I think that, you know, they'll probably look like, you know, what could they have done? Would they have like gone all the way and uh, won the NCAA cha championship? Um, and at least we can turn around and say that, you know, we had that opportunity. We got to play in a final as a team because yep. um, it was very much touch and go. It was, wasn't something that was guaranteed at the time. And yeah, I think that we're all like very grateful for that experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you got, you snuck in a win there before everything was canceled. I think your, what your, your Instagram post was like, we might get COVID because we played in this, but at least we snuck out with a trophy <laughs> before we all went into lockdown. <laughs> Which like that March, no, that like early true. on, it, we were, it, was, it was a little scary. Like, should we be playing? I remember playing in our league games here in the States. It's like, oh, are we supposed to be on the court right now or not? But <laughs> Right. Yeah. Snag the win. And in hindsight, I think if we knew what we knew now, then we that championship would have yeah. definitely not gone oh, ahead. Yeah. Um, so it was kind of like the ignorance is bliss kind of. Yeah. Yes. That we allowed to play that championship with, with uh, without any forethought of what was about to come. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, so we watched this weekend – um, love that the that the writers and uh, the Eagles live stream the WBBL games. It's hard to watch WBBL games um, without going in person. And obviously we can't go in person now, but I like that they actually streamed this weekend. And you re-signed along Kate Oliver, who had an incredible game yesterday. Uh, Sarah Hen Heinrich's daughter? Heinrich's daughter? Heinrich's daughter, yes. <laughs> Great. Uh, and you brought on Holly Winterburn, as we discussed this year. So you your, your team is stacked. You are loaded. You I would expect you to be one of the big favorites this year. You've been undefeated coming in and re-signing the season. What has it been like preparing? What were your expectations for the season? What has it been like kind of get ready, at, ready after that trophy uh, win last year? I think that um, it was really nice to know that, you know, 
particularly Kate was going to come back um, and, yep. and rejoin the team because um, Sarah's studying with me this year. So we were both doing our masters. So like, I kind of yep. knew that that was going to be the case. Um, but I think like, arguably, I think Kate is the best five in the league um, in terms of versatility. Like some mm. may argue that um, Joyner with the Wildcats is also up for contention yep. at that position. But I think that, that Kate wins it in terms of being able to like her, have her outside threat as well as inside threat. Yeah. Well, um, over a sequence so yesterday, she hit a three, she did a backdoor cut reverse layup and she did a post move. And the announcers were like, holy shit, like she is doing everything <laughs> out there. And that's truly like how she is as a player. You know, she, if you stop her in the post, then she can step out and, and shoot the three. Um, so I think that it's really, it's lovely to have Sarah back as well. Obviously a big score for us last year, um, mm -hmm. led the team um, in a lot of categories. So I was confident coming in and then obviously the excitement in having Holly Winterburn returning from America and joining us, yeah. like that was a huge signing for us, but not forgetting other people like Hannah Robb, who just had her first debut with yep. the senior national team. Um, and like we're, and then obviously you've got Ella Clark who's played on the senior national team in the past. Mm -hmm. um, so we really do have a lot of depth. And I think one of our biggest advantages uh, this year, uh, probably similar to last year is that, if they take away one of our scoring threats, then mm -hmm. someone else can step up. Um, so it's really hard to probably scout and prepare for us as a team because not only in, in any position like Kate, for example, who you know can score both inside and out, we also then have two or three players that can do something similar. So yep. um, I think that we do take collective responsibility offensively uh, and we play really well as a team. I think that's a testament to the fact that we've had an extremely long preseason as well. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, I think we were up training at sort of the end of August. So wow. we've had a lot of time to prepare. And I think having, looking at the sort of systems that we tried to put in last year, which are similar to what we're doing this year, mm -hmm. I think it took us far longer last year to get to certain defensive rotations or defensive nuances where we're already at that point this year. So mm -hmm. it's really mm -hmm. great. And I think, Yes, where our coach has already acknowledged that. So, Yeah, I mean, you were one of the WBBL players of the week last week, I think. We watched yesterday. You're doing a lot of dirty work. You're getting the offensive rebounds, kicking it out. You're getting the blocks. You're playing good defense. What would you say your role is on this team where you obviously have a lot of talent? I think for me, I, one of my roles is like to shoot the ball when I'm open. Mm -hmm. um, to, but like you said, to, I think I'm a defensive player more than an offensive player. Um, I mean, you didn't miss I, any threes yesterday. True. That must no. have felt good. <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> yeah. So I, I try and focus on playing defense, um, playing within our system, getting stops, um, being aggressive, kind of like leading the team in defensive intensity. Mm -hmm. And then um, pushing the ball in transition. I don't think we got as many opportunities to do so yesterday, but normally we like get a lot more uh, opportunities to run, run the floor. Um, mm -hmm. And I like that our coach here allows us to push the ball one through five. You know, he doesn't yeah. dictate that we need to outlet it to the point guard and then like walk the ball up the floor and run a set. Um, so that can be quite exciting to watch, I think. Yeah. Um, but that, then, yeah, I think like in, in any given game, um, depending on like who we're playing and, uh, you know, how we anticipate they'll scout us, then I think everyone's role sort of tweaks a little bit depending mm -hmm. on mm -hmm. um, tactically what we're trying to look for in that game. Yeah, yeah. that makes a lot of sense. I think every player we bring on to this podcast, we just like want to be able to get to know their teammates. Like we, I feel like in the NBA, we know these players so well, we have a good grip on their personalities and we just want to get uh -huh. to know the BBL and WBBL players just as well. Mm -hmm. So we kind of run through these like superlatives with every player we bring on. So who's okay. the funniest player on your team? Like without a doubt, Whitney Allen. Um, <laughs> that was a quick answer she's like, yeah seriously she's hilarious um, both in like you know when someone's funny just in their like mannerisms like you might be in practice <laughs> and like coach will say something and you like scan the room just to sort of read the reactions of people uh -huh. and she's the person that like has it written all over her face like, <laughs> just um, can't hide so, it yeah so that makes me laugh and like she's just like funny in general um, but in terms of you want to know who like, I think the funniest person in the league is is Rianne Bailey she plays at Manchester and I played junior basketball with her. Hilarious. Probably one of the funniest people I know. Like, Does that translate okay. to on court too? Like, are they funny on yeah. the court? Yeah. Even when, even when I play like Rianne, um, you know, like when you just have like a little friendly banter, like during the game, uh -huh. like you'd be talking about stuff, like just as like a joke, like 
yeah, that's like, I look forward to playing Manchester just to have that like conversation with her. Yeah. The free throw line banter where you're just waiting yeah. for the, yeah, just, just elbowing each other. Yeah. Yeah. Going off of that, is there a good trash talker on your team? Who's got the Great best question. trash talk? Oh, see, I don't think that we have that on our team. And sometimes like, I wish that we did, like just for entertainment purposes. You can always sign me if you need me. I got you. <laughs> that can be my role. Just the heckler Honestly, from the sideline. Yeah. Honestly, I just think that we're quite like humble in the way that we sort of act and why well, I hope that we yeah. come across to other people. Um, yeah. So I, I don't really think we have that person. Nothing from Holly. She looks like she gets like a snarl on sometimes, but it seems like she like attacks more in that mode than maybe trash. I feel like, yeah, I feel like if people get annoyed, you can tell because they'll just like go at someone, you know, like they'll translate, it'll translate into how they're playing versus like what they're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Who has the best style on the team? And I'm going to say, you can say yourself because I have stalked you on Instagram and you have great style. (laughs) No, I wasn't going to say myself. I was going to say probably Holly, actually, Holly or Sarah. But when I say the best style, they're probably just the two people that if someone said, who do you want to switch wardrobes with? Like those would be the two yeah. people. That's a good Mostly because base. Holly's got so many cool like things from Oregon and like from, yeah, yeah. like she gets sent things from Nike. So it's, yeah. it's really cool. Yeah. If you want gear, go to University of Oregon. Seriously. You, you got the <laughs> Nike connection there. I have, yeah. another, I have another one for the team. Who's the glue person on the team or the locker room person? You, also, you often hear that. Who kind of brings the whole team together? Um, I would probably say Kate and myself. Um, I think that's something that like it's been consistent across my basketball career is like, and obviously been in varied situations where, you know, when I played in Italy, I was, you know, one of the more important people on the team, but I've also played in college where, you know, a lot of my later part of my college career, I sat on the bench. Um, and then being here, like it doesn't, it's not important to me um, that I score like 10, 15 points in a game and, and have a double-double or make, you know, the all-star five. It's important to me that we win. Um, and so I'm willing to do whatever's necessary to like sort of invoke that kind of motivation um, yep. and willingness to win from, from others. And so I do take pride in trying to keep everyone on the same page, trying to keep everyone positive um, mm-hmm. and encourage and like motivate people both in practice and in games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can see it on the court. I was like, shoot, shoot, shoot yesterday. I'm like, you're coming on the pod. Let's get another three. But you just kick it out to the open person. You're unselfish. I was like, oh, yeah. be more selfish for the podcast, Christina. Come on. We want to glow. Something I'm working on in, in my life as well, but it's a, it's a struggle. Uh, that's another podcast. Um, what other, <laughs> uh, what young players uh, should we really be looking out for? Maybe on the writers or in the WBBL in general, who are you really impressed by for some up and comers? Um, so on our team, we have a, um, a younger player. She's been training with us like since preseason, um, Katie Janacevska, and Mm. I'm commentating a little bit at the moment in some of her division one games. So I'm really trying (laughs) to get her name pronunciation down, but I feel like I just got it wrong again. Um, but she, so she played in, um, she's under 16 last year and she had games where she scored in excess of like 35, 40 points. Jeez. Um, so she's like really like someone to to look um, look out for, but then obviously she played in in Division Two I believe last year as well and still dominated in that league. So like it was really time this year for her to step up into the next level and to be able to you know train with us every day and to compete with a lot of like professional players with a lot of experiences. I think it's going to do her the world of good. Um, and so and she's I think you can tell when someone's going to or has the potential to to develop into a great player because they just listen you know like they're willing to learn and they listen and there's a lot of talented players out there that just think they already know the answer or just like you'll speak to them but they don't want to hear it and I think having someone that just wants to soak up as much knowledge as possible um, Mm and really listens and tries to understand and even asks questions um, I think that's a real recipe for success with junior players yeah yeah. I'm excited to follow her career yeah. and see how she does just like you mentioned where you are playing in the uk then you go to europe and your eyes open up a little bit wider and you see how the level increases it's even in the states growing up in aau there's always a level above you so yeah. be mm-hmm. humble you can always be learning especially from the better players and the people older than you um but yeah I, everyone you know every young player should take that lesson of, of listen uh and try to learn because you're you're not going to be the best player in the world yeah 100 coachability is so important Um, We mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that you you are a marketing consultant. 
we would love for you to grace us with some knowledge. Uh, <laughs> what do you think the B WBBL can do to grow interest in basketball in the UK? Let's tap into that marketing brain a little bit. This so is a big question too. It is a big question. <laughs> it, it is a huge question. Um, no pressure. But I think that um, one of the struggles that we face uh, in the WBL and the female league in this country is that there's so little money. Yeah. So um, obviously you have to spend a little money to make a, a little bit of money. And I think mm -hmm. I'm a big believer in that concept. So it is a hard to, to sort of run initiatives and to, um, to develop the game without that resource. Um, but having said that, I think that a lot of uh, clubs have had success partnering with schools and local grassroots program and really mm -hmm. trying to develop the community program within the area that they um, exist in. So for us, mm -hmm. that means community coaching that we, we host at the university. And we also go around to, in, in a non-COVID world, we go around to primary schools. I did a lot of assemblies last year where I spoke to, um, spoke to the entire school around my pathway in basketball and how, you know, joining and playing sport, even if it's not basketball, is a really positive thing. Um, so sort of just spreading the word, because I think one of the struggles that we have in England in general is that basketball is not played from a young age. It's not something you do in primary school and sometimes not even mm -hmm. in secondary school. So... Um, offering that as, as an option um, within mm -hmm. schools and partnering within schools. Like that's a, I think a great way to, to grow like the community aspect of the game and to grow participation levels from the ground up. Mm -hmm. um, but again, like I'm not um, denying the reality that I do think that more needs to be done in terms of partnering with perhaps even like corporations that have, you yeah, know, absolutely. women, uh, you know, corporate board members, that are really passionate about sport and uh, really want to give back to female sport and finding investment in, in that way and being a little bit more creative and working out how we can see it as a more of like a, a charitable aspect um, mm -hmm. as opposed to a business investment. Because I think sometimes in the past, like you're probably familiar with the Royals that, that joined yes. the, the league for, for one season and then, you know, mm -hmm. had a lot of financial, were rumored to have a lot of financial um, issues and then uh, no longer exist now. Yes, so burnt out quickly. Yeah. So I think sometimes the struggle is that, you know, we have investors or people that, that come in and have these lofty ambitions and have this idea of what they want to do, you know, save British mm -hmm. basketball and transform like the heritage of um, and the direction of British basketball in this country. But I don't think that they realistically sit down and think about, you know, how they're going to do that. Like what, how are they going to increase the amount of fans that they're going to have at games? And then they yeah. suddenly realize they get a few months into the season that they're like, this return on my investment that I was expecting because I was expecting to, to fill out the copper box or whatever arena it yeah. may be mm -hmm. is not quite there. Um, but, but you didn't really have a real strategy behind doing so. Um, yeah. And I think that comes from having people that have both a business and basketball mindset. Mm -hmm. um, quite often, like I'm working on a project right now with Basketball England into, you know, junior athletes transition from being in this country to going to America and, mm -hmm. and how we can support that and provide more resource. Um, but they brought me on board because I'm very familiar with basketball and I've also lived the experience, but then they've mm -hmm. obviously got the resource and the investment to be able to, to bring it to life. And I think those kind of partnerships really make sense. Um, and in this country, we do have a lot of really great um, business people and, and people within the basketball network. But I think sometimes communication is lacking and we don't really unify to create like one strategy to really grow the sort of both the national programs and the domestic leagues. We kind of look at, we we'll sit on little islands and try and um, do things in isolated ways. So mm -hmm. that was a big question. That was a big question and you nailed it. <laughs> oh, thank you. It's solved. There you go. WBBL. We just gave you the answer. No, but I mean, it's not it's, easy. I, yeah, yeah, I say all that and I know that it's like, it's not easy. Even the project yeah. that I've been working on with Basketball England, like you've got a lot of people with a lot of different perspectives. So trying to like, you know, bring everyone together and, and make sense of it and develop something at the end that, that makes a difference. It's not always straightforward. Yeah. yeah. Well, coming in from Americans, it's like, okay, there's, there's 66 million people. There's so many sports fans in the UK. Uh, basketball is one of the, most played sports um, for youth that's mm -hmm. taught in schools. Uh, the NBA is huge. NBA 2K is huge. Why isn't basketball more popular? Why aren't there more resources in the BBL, WBBL? And mm -hmm. it's kind of, that's where you see maybe like, hey, we can come save British basketball with just some, some investment and then you get burnt out quickly. 
And I think what you're talking about of investing in the community and the schools and the programs is such a powerful piece because we see that in, in the WNBA in the States. We're yeah. lucky enough mm-hmm. to be very close to the, uh, the championship Seattle Storm which Skylar, I knew I would slip that in there every episode, go go storm, (laughs) but you see the crowds and it is a lot of the youth development programs. It's a lot of the community. It's a lot of the schools that are fans as opposed to, you know, in Mm -hmm. contrast to the NBA. So I think that's such a powerful piece. What do you see? um, Or, or, you know, what are some of your thoughts on seven, seven, seven partners who bought the London lions and you see the government putting in more investment, or I guess it's a loan, but it seems like this season, there is a lot more, momentum for British basketball, um, whether it's, you know, in, in Eurobasket or the London Lions going into Europe. Do you feel that energy on the ground that there is momentum or does it feel like another one of these London Royals come in, try to save British basketball thing? Um, I think that the, any investment is good. Um, I just would love to see the longevity and consistency of that yeah. investment, mm-hmm. obviously, because, you know, we've seen in the past that people sort of dip their toes in the water and then realize quickly that actually it doesn't return, you know, give them the return that they want um, and quickly withdraw from the situation. So I'm hesitant in saying that, you know, I think that it's going to be a long-term success, but at the same time, I don't want to discredit the organization um, and the ambition that they have in terms of returning to Europe. It's something that, you know, having been previously part of the, the Lions club that they've been looking to do for a long time um and now obviously with the the finances available to do so i think that is a positive thing for the league and i think Mm -hmm. in hearing the recent rumor that they're looking to perhaps invest in the the wider league um of the the wbbl bbl um i think that would be a really positive thing because i think that you you can't just bring one team Sorry, I might have lost you. You can't just bring one team up in isolation. I think that you need to um, look at the entirety of the league mm-hmm. um, because a lot of a lot of discussion, obviously, in preseason this year was, wow, Lions have signed another player, another guy, another yes, player. Another like, NBA player. You know, you know, are they just going to beat everyone in the BBL by like 50 and then their yep. priority mm-hmm. is going to go, you know, to European competitions? Um, and that arguably doesn't necessarily raise the profile of the league as a whole. Um, it perhaps just raises the profile of that one team. And so I think that it would be a really wise decision for them to invest in the the broader sort of landscape of the league um, and then give other opportunities to be able to sign more, you know, notable talent. Um, Not that we don't have, you know, great talented players already, you know, playing in the league, but I think that brings excitement for fans as well. You know, like people that love to come and watch an, uh, an NBA game when they play in London all of a sudden, like maybe if they can sign, you know, some D league players, um, they can create more excitement around yeah. the game domestically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I just, the storytelling around the players too is so huge. If they had that marketing budget, cause you're talking about the funniest player in the league, the one who has the best style as fans, we don't see a lot of that. There's not investment mm-hmm. in kind of telling those stories and getting us mm-hmm. uh, interested in the games through the players, which is largely how the NBA and WNBA have become successful. Um, so yeah, I would love to see more investment there. And I think you're right. It's just the consistency part of it. You've got to see mm-hmm. it for the years and it takes a long time to change the culture. Right. And if they're willing to obviously put this investment in over a, you know, an, a five years, which they have initially committed to, mm-hmm. then, you know, as long as there's a strategy um, underlying it and there's obviously a good marketing plan campaign or plan to execute, um, you know, to continue to develop lines as a, as a brand and maybe the BBL as a whole, then, um, I'm sure that that will, that will go a long way to making a big difference. Yeah. Well, you're on Sky now, or at least the BBL is starting there. Maybe they'll pull up some WBBL games, but first TV deal, what, since the 2000s? The aughts? Yeah. yeah Which is huge. crazy. So yeah, looking forward to seeing it on TV because I think that was a big thing that they were trying to push of, hey, we have all these viewers. We have, all, we have this huge audience, which you can mm-hmm. see on YouTube in the live streams. Um, I'm really glad that they're doing a more of a, a production, which starts this Thursday, actually, I think. Mm-hmm. That's really exciting. No, it's uh, definitely, there's been a lot of speak obviously around uh, the league pass and et cetera. So, oh, yes. you know, we won't go there, but <laughs> um, yeah, we can. You mean the single club pass? Yeah. <laughs> Brian, don't be mischievous. Don't be mischievous. We'll Sorry. move on. We'll wrap up here. Uh, we came off some heavy questions. We'll finish on a light one. Uh, the writers are off to a hot start this season. What, what, a message do you have for writers fans going into this upcoming or I guess you're in it going into the season yeah I think that um 
it's a little bit of a different season, but hopefully, you know, mm-hmm. we do a really good job at Leicester of, of providing media content and keeping the fans up to date with games. And um, we really appreciate the ongoing support that we have from um, various different well, age groups and people. And hopefully, you know, when it comes to playing our probably biggest game of the season against Seven Oaks, um, we can see something slightly different this year. And um, we beat them last year when it mattered to get through to the, yep. the final of the trophy. Um, but we obviously lost to them earlier in the season last mm-hmm. year. So I think that's going to be the big game of the season and something to really look out for, for, for Riders fans going forward. As new American fans, is, the, is it a Seven Oaks rivalry with the Riders? I see you going back and forth on all of the standings going back years. Is that like the big rivalry in the WBBL? I think it's our biggest competition. Um, Seven Oaks have like, you know, won the league for the last, I'm not sure, like they've had like a very, you know, good run um, yes. for the last like five or six years. So um, they're always the, the team that you kind of want to knock off that kind of pedestal a little bit. Um, and they have tremendous like talent. They recruit very well. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of the, their core group have been playing to, together for several years now. So um, yeah, it'll be a really great challenge for us. And I think those are the games that I'm most excited about because you get the opportunity to, to see who turns up and play their best basketball on that day. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you're on to the WBBL Cup semifinals, which I think is against the Cardiff Met Archers, which we also watched this weekend where they lost the Lions. So the Lions only won one, but it was against the, the Archers, which we watched. So best of luck there. And thank you so much for coming on, Christina. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me.